You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast, the number one tax podcast for real estate investors. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the Tax Smart RAI Podcast. This is the first episode Ryan and I have to ourselves in quite some time, and we're going to be answering some really important questions that we get from Tax Smart investors all the time. And that is, can you deduct luxury cars like Lamborghinis? Can you deduct luxury watches like Rolexes? Are these ordinary necessary business expenses? And if so, can they be deducted? We're going to start with Rolexes and then we'll dive into Lamborghinis. So, uh, kind of what brought us to this episode today is that we've had uh, some tax professionals and influencers out there telling their clients that they can deduct Rolexes on their tax returns, as well as other luxury clothes and luxury vehicles like Lamborghinis and G-Wagons. And long story short of it, the IRS and tax courts generally clarify that you cannot deduct Rolexes, whereas it depends for luxury cars like Lamborghinis and G-Wagons. In some cases, you might be able to deduct those. But because so many real estate investors are also in the influencer space, we've been getting a lot of questions on this and we want to clear the air today. So let's just kind of start off with a Rolex. The first thing to note here is that there are different rules that govern the deductibility of clothes versus vehicles. So two different sets of rules. And again, remember, the first thing we have to ask is deducting a Rolex ordinary and necessary for your business. And for most business owners, a Rolex is not going to be ordinary and necessary. But some personal brands, some influencers will make the argument that it is necessary to uphold their image and therefore it is necessary for their business. So let's assume that we get past that and we say that it is ordinary and necessary for this particular business. We now have to look at what are the rules for deducting clothes. And to deduct clothes, you need to meet all three of the following criteria. First, the clothing needs to be required and essential for your job or business. And in this case, you know, for most people, again, a Rolex will not be required or essential for your job, but we're going to assume that it is for the case of an influencer in this example. Uh, The second thing is that the clothing must be distinctive or protective. And in most cases, a Rolex is not going to be protective. It may be distinctive, so we'll assume that it's distinctive here. Now, the clothes are not suitable for everyday wear outside of work. So again, in order to deduct clothes, they need to be required or essential. They need to be distinctive and protective, and they need to be not suitable for everyday wear outside of work. And this is where that third one is where most people are going to get tripped up. So let's take a deeper look at this. So sure, the Rolex may be essential to uphold your brand, and it may even be distinctive in some cases because you know a Rolex is not just any watch, right? Uh, so let's just say we get past those two again. But where you're going to fail is that Rolexes are suitable for everyday wear outside of work. And we have a tax court case I'll go through in just a minute that kind of paints this picture and says that it is. So the tax court case, Barry D. Pevsner versus Commissioner, I believe that's how you pronounce her name, was about a saleswoman who worked at Yves Saint Laurent, which is a luxury clothing store, and was required to purchase 
and wear the store's clothing while working. And the task court case ultimately denied her deduction, stating that the clothes were adaptable for general use, even though she claimed to have never used those clothes outside of work. So basically here with the task court said, yeah, they might be essential for your job or required. So we're going to check that box. They may even be distinctive. They're going to be distinctive. It's Yves Saint Laurent is a luxury brand. Uh, however, they are suitable for everyday wear, and therefore you're not going to be able to get that deduction. And that's kind of where that Rolex comes in. They are suitable for everyday wear. Now we've gotten some interesting questions. I forgot if it was in our Facebook group or on Twitter where I posted this, but someone said, well, a Rolex is not suitable to wear to the gym, so it's not suitable for everyday wear. Well, just because something's not suitable to wear to the gym doesn't necessarily mean it's not suitable for general everyday wear. I assure you, if you walk down a New York City street or any major city, you're going to see people wearing Rolexes, right? Just as part of their everyday. You go to a bar, you go to a club, you're going to see this stuff. It's very common. The second thing I will say about that is, yes, people do wear Rolexes to the gym. There's a gym that I go to and I see at least two gentlemen wearing Rolexes to the gym. I think it's pretty foolish to do that, to bring that type of watch to the gym but you can indeed wear it to the gym. So with that in mind, I think it's pretty safe to say, given the fact that Rolexes are suitable for everyday wear, that they are not going to be tax deductible. Now, having said that, I did look into tax court cases specifically on Rolexes and did not find anything that either denied Rolexes being deductible or allowed them to be deductible. But again, given the rules here, given the current tax court cases, such as this Yves Saint Laurent case, it does not seem that Rolexes will be tax deductible. If Rolexes are not tax deductible, what are some circumstances on when clothes would be tax deductible, right? Because I don't want to just go here and say, oh, well, Rolexes are not tax deductible because they're suitable for everyday wear and not give you any other parameters besides that. So here's some tax court cases and some findings of some tax court cases where clothes were deductible, okay? I'll go through, I'll provide the task court case, and I'll provide some commentary on it as well as we go through these. Um, this is also, uh, I want to give a shout out to Bradford Tax. This is from an article. They have an excellent article on this topic. So let's go ahead and dive right in here to what is deductible. So a professional violinist had to wear uh, sequined gowns and formal wear during her performances at the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra and Long Beach Symphony. The court allowed the deductions because they were quite formal and therefore not adaptable for general or personal wear. Okay, so that is these were extremely formal clothes that presumably would only be worn in such circumstances of conducting an orchestra. That's what the court found. And for those reasons, they were deductible. So they were not suitable for everyday wear. All right. Here's another one. A self-employed dairy salesman chose to wear a green hat shirt and trousers, each stitched with an emblem, Mortred Dairy, which is the name of the business and the court allowed the deductions. This is a uniform, basically, and presumably you're not going to wear an all green uniform with the logo of a dairy company for everyday general use. All right. The next one is the salesman's employer required him to wear a uniform consisting of a tailor-made cap, shirt, jacket, which had a red company logo on it. The task court allowed the deduction for such items, but the court did notably disallow the deductions for the gentleman's shoes, socks, and overshoes and raincoat because they were not part of the uniform and general in nature suitable for everyday wear. The next one was a physician that was allowed to deduct the cost of their laundry expenses and scrubs 
that they had to wear for work at the hospital because they were not suitable for everyday wear. Again, this is very much like a uniform. You're typically not going to be walking down the streets casually in scrubs unless you're going to work or on your way back from work, right? As an office manager for a dentist's office, they were allowed to deduct the cost of laundry expenses for their uniforms because they were not a replacement for ordinary clothing. Again, all of these are pretty much, we're talking about uniforms here. All right. Now uh, we're going to get into another situation when the task court found something was not deductible. Okay. So a carpenter could not deduct the cost of his overalls or shoes. The court found that the white overalls, which did not have any company logo, were not distinctive, but were instead ordinary clothing, which could be used for ordinary you know, general wearing purposes. So they were denied this deduction. Kind of the takeaway from these tax court cases, if you have something that is a uniform, it's typically going to be deductible. If you have something that is not a uniform, it typically will not be tax deductible unless it's overly formal, like in the case of the violinist, which again is more like a uniform. So Two things I do want to address here is that someone did mention, and I think it was in our Facebook group, did mention, well, hey, what if I put a logo on my Rolex, right? Uh, Would it be tax deductible in that case? And again, I looked into tax court cases specifically trying to uncover an answer to this type of question, and I did not find anything as of today. However, I would be very hesitant to bless that. Because at the end of the day, I don't know if anybody who's listening, if you have a Rolex or any type of watch, but I don't know where you really put the logo of the business on the watch, but it'd have to be probably on the band, which would be very small, a very small engraving. And quite frankly, you won't be able to see that unless you're very up close. So I would make the argument that is still suitable for everyday wear. And even if it was not suitable for everyday wear, you'd have to make the argument of why is ordinary and necessary for you to have an engraved Rolex for your specific business. Another question we got was, well, what about a luxury watch dealer, right? You're a jeweler. Imagine you're a jeweler. Are jewelers allowed to deduct their Rolexes? Again, they would not be able to deduct their Rolexes if they had to wear them for work because they are suitable for everyday wear, just like in the Yves Saint Laurent case. However, if you were the luxury dealer, you would be able to deduct those Rolexes as expenses because they're inventory. So in other words, you're selling inventory as part of your business. You're going to be able to deduct those Rolexes as inventory. But that's a different circumstance and different use case than saying, can I deduct my Rolex as part of my ordinary you know, day-to-day wear as part of my personal brand? Second, the last thing here on Rolex is then we'll dive into the fun stuff, the Lamborghinis, which Ryan's going to cover. Um, is can W-2 employees deduct their clothes? As we kind of went through some of these tax court cases, I said, a salesman's employer, and some people were not necessarily a business owner in this case. And the long story short is the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which we've talked about ad nauseum here over the last number of years, uh, suspended miscellaneous itemized deductions, which is where work clothes such as uniforms would be deductible. And that's suspended through 2018 to 2025. And uh, before this, certain work-related expenses like clothes were deductible under certain circumstances and conditions. But as of today, as of this recording, is not tax deductible as an employee. The bottom line is, in almost all cases, Rolexes are not going to be tax deductible thanks to the IRS rules around deducting clothes, which requires them not to be suitable for everyday wear. 
But now we have Lamborghinis, which may be a different case. Ryan, what do you think about Lamborghinis? Yeah, before we get into that, just a comment on the the watches, the clothes, because I think some people listening to this could say, hey, there's kind of a a theme in a couple of those examples of, well, what if I put on the logo and you kind of mentioned like the band or whatever on that? I think I've also seen like, oh, if I say buy like a Yeti or, a, you know, one of those Stanley cups or something, uh, if I put yeah. my logo on it, like automatically it becomes deductible. But right. uh, someone I was looking at had a video of putting their logo on the inside. And it's like, well, yeah. is that really deductible then? Like usually if yeah. you're going to put a logo on something, it's going to be on the exterior, very visible to someone yeah. to say, hey, this is, you know, a unique thing. I'm doing this for marketing, advertising, whatever. So even within the whole logo conversation, because again, people might hear what you're saying and say, oh, put the logo, whatever on the the Rolex, even that you've got to be like, it probably needs to be visible, right? You think about like the uniforms, it's like this guy had uh, in that example, the the green clothes, probably everything kind of had, you know, the emblem or whatever, the logo specifically on those clothes, which now it's like, okay, this is unique. And the only other thing I was going to add into that, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm kind of thinking, you know what? At the end of the day, it is probably deductible if you would not purchase that clothing unless you were in this business. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like if I were to go out and say, hey, I could be in any business, be anyone, I might go buy a Rolex, right? Okay. However, I am not on my own going to buy this green uniform (laughs) or whatever, you know, green hat, green, whatever. No way in the world am I just going to go buy that for fun and and use that every day. It is a specific use specifically for my business. And that even goes for other deductions too, right? As we think about other things that we might use for business specifically, hey, if I wouldn't have gone and bought that just for business, right? That might not be a deduction. That might actually just be personal. And so I just kind of wanted to, maybe help some people think through that a little bit. If this is an extra expense, you wouldn't wear this outside of this kind of business context, and then it might actually be a business deductible. So yeah, that was the last comments I wanted to have on that. Did you have any comments on that? Otherwise we can move into Lamborghinis. Yeah, yeah no, no. The last thing I would say, I think you hit the nail on the head there with a good key takeaway to think about this. Like if you're only wearing this for business and you wouldn't wear this in any other circumstances, then that's a good chance that's going to be tax deductible. And Think about it, you're not going to wear scrubs to a casual event or you're not going to wear scrubs again, just you know, casually walking down the street unless you're walking to work. So like, I think that there, there's a clear distinction in my mind here. And anybody who's trying to like, anybody who's like trying to say otherwise is really just trying to get fancy with the rules and you're getting, you're going to get too cute and you might end up shooting yourself in the foot. So again, I mean, I just want to say this, the bottom line is the IRS is pretty clear and the tax court cases we have plenty of tax court cases to back this up on what it takes to deduct clothes and when it comes to luxury items like a rolex it is not typically going to be exclusively used for work it will almost always be suitable for everyday wear so you're not going to be able to deduct those you know again unless you're going to be a luxury dealer and you're going to be selling rolexes as part of your inventory they are not going to be deductible. And if anybody's telling you otherwise, they're probably leading you astray. And I'm not saying that to knock anybody. I'm just telling you that these rules are pretty black and white and you might get yourself into trouble. But again, with Lamborghini is a little bit different. Yep. So Lamborghinis, this will probably be a little bit shorter than Tom talking about Rolexes. So at the end of the day, it comes back to what you said, Tom, ordinary and necessary. Anytime we start to bring in anything luxury, 
it starts to become, okay, is this really ordinary for this business? And so for most businesses, the answer for specifically like a Lamborghini, a G-Wagon, right? Anything super luxury, generally not, right? Generally not, that's that's not going to be. But you have talked to me in the past about, you know, say a really luxury kind of real estate agent realtor in maybe New York, right? Or San Francisco, California. They probably, uh, if you've got consistent clients that you're selling, say, multi-million dollar homes, that might be an instance where something or someone who has vehicles like that could actually make sense where you have a luxury car, you're maybe driving around a client multiple times a day, client all day, for instance, that could be an example of this is becoming a little bit more ordinary and necessary for your business, for your clientele, not just, hey, uh, showing up in a Prius and you're trying to sell a $50 million home. (laughs) probably not probably not going to be the case of kind of your look so that could be an example so it it is kind of a case by case but something similar along those lines could work another thing i was going to say something i heard in the past you know say real estate investors right that's our specialty right if we have a real estate investor who say has even five short-term rentals right and they're like hey i do a lot of transporting of materials and getting to my properties and things like that. And then they go and buy a Lamborghini. I would say, really? For a couple of short-term rentals, right? You're not taking around, you know, clients. You're probably not interacting with a lot of people at all. Maybe you're going to conferences and sure. But at the end of the day, mm, does that pass the sniff test of is that ordinary and necessary for that type of business, right? So kind of tying it to a lot of our listeners, investors, one thing I want to jump in there too is just like when it comes to expenses, uh, things that are, you constantly hear these things like lavish or excessive or frivolous, right? Uh, these are words that the IRS uses to explain certain types of expenses and then denies those expenses. So in general, like when you're going to take something that's lavish or extraordinary or frivolous, you know, something along those lines, you have to have a really good and compelling case on why it's ordinary and necessary, okay? Because again, the thing that prohibited the Rolex from being deducted was the rules here, the clothing rules. But here with the Lamborghini, I'm sure you're going to dive into this. With the Lamborghini, there's different rules that govern the deductibility of vehicles. So you might be able to deduct the Lamborghini you know, under the vehicle rules, but is it ordinary and necessary? And that's the question that we're trying to answer right here. Yep. If we then kind of proceed and just talk a little bit about vehicle deductions for a minute, If we can say, hey, yep, it's a vehicle, maybe it's a a bit more luxury, right? Kind of going, let's say that luxury real estate agent, New York, California, whatever, how much of that can we deduct, right? And we've got these various rules of a vehicle being over 6,000 pounds or under 6,000 pounds. That's kind of the threshold that we have. So big picture, vehicles with a gross vehicle weight, I think the R is rating, GVWR, less than 6,000 pounds, generally not eligible for bonus depreciation. And we've kind of got this uh, depreciation we can take over five years, basically. But even that depreciation that we can take, we need to figure out what percentage did we use it for business, right? So even kind of coming back to influencers and whatnot, they'll kind of tell you about, hey, you can deduct the full cost of Lamborghini, G-Wagon, whatever vehicle it is, right? You can get the whole thing. The thing, though, that often doesn't get talked about is that you've also got this kind of five-year rule, right? You've got to look at over the next several years, five years specifically, what is your business use of that vehicle? Because if we have any year 
where it drops below 50%. Now we've got some depreciation recapture, right? right? If we stay above 50% every year for those five years, no issue with depreciation recapture. That's kind of more specifically for the over 6,000 pound vehicles, not so much under. But point is, if we're taking kind of more specifically a vehicle over 6,000 pounds, right? Now it's potentially eligible for bonus depreciation. That's the first requirement. But the second requirement is you need to use it more than 50% the first year, even to take that acceleration of bonus right. depreciation in the first year, right? So some examples, right? Like a Lambo, like Urus and, and G-Wagon, generally those are over 6,000 pounds. That's great. But then again, we've got this depreciation recapture issue to be careful of. But even if we're over 50%, I think sometimes people get confused when they hear, okay, 6,000 pounds, kind of put that in their head. Then they've got, okay, over 50%, that's great. Then do I get to deduct the whole thing? No, you still are taking a percentage of your cost, right? So if we, example, $100,000 kind of vehicle, we use it the first year, uh, 75% for business, great. We're gonna be able to take a $75,000 deduction for that business that it was used for, right? But that's just the depreciation aspect too. And I know we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but that's just the depreciation, right? We haven't even factored in gas, repairs, things like that. But overall, we want to be careful first, ordinary and necessary. Then we're thinking through if it is for any vehicle, really for that matter, over or under 6,000 pounds and then over or under 50% for business. So any comments on that, Tom? Yeah, no, no. I'm just going to say that I think this is important because, you know, what we see sometimes is we'll see people who maybe made money in some other type of endeavor, maybe like a W-2 job, and then they have a rental portfolio and they're like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and drop $357,000, which is around the price of a Lamborghini Urus on a Lamborghini Urus to go drive back and forth to their rental properties. And <laughs> again, you know, while you could theoretically deduct the Lamborghini Urus because it has a gross vehicle weight rating of over 6,000 pounds, the question we really have to ask, is it lavish? Is it frivolous? Is it ordinary necessary? If, if it's not ordinary necessary for your business, for your line of work to drive back and forth to your C-class rental properties, we have to really sit there and say, it, you know, can, can we sign that dotted line and, and, and bless this deduction? And I think for a lot of people that, that they're shocked to find out why some CPAs are not on board with deducting these lavish cars, you know, for a standard business. And it's for the reasons that we're talking about here. It's probably not ordinary necessary and you might get scrutinized under audit and it just doesn't really bode well. And, and I would say this, that there are rules. The rules, the way the vehicle rules are kind of broken out is there's the rules for passenger vehicles that weigh under 6,000 pounds. And these are actually known as the luxury car limits. That's actually what they're like <laughs> known as. And if I'm not mistaken, that might actually be formalized in the tax code as the luxury car rules. Basically, what it says is if your vehicle is less than 6,000 pounds, has less than that 6,000 gross vehicle weight rating, then you can only deduct a certain amount each year, right? First year, you're maxed out at $20,400 for these luxury vehicles. But then when you get over the 6,000 pounds, a lot more freedom, like Ryan was saying. But then that's when the question really becomes for some of these more luxury cars are they ordinary and necessary? So uh, that's kind of the bottom line here. I think today what we wanted to do is kind of clear up some of these rumors, these misconceptions, these myths when it comes to deducting luxury items. And again, the bottom line is Rolexes and most other clothes that are suitable for everyday wear will not be tax deductible because even if they are ordinary and necessary, the rules that govern the deductibility of clothes state that they cannot be deducted for that reason. 
Okay. Whereas luxury vehicles, we still have to answer that question. Are they ordinary and necessary? But the rules for deducting these vehicles are different than deducting clothes. And if you have that Lamborghini Urus, for example, that is over 6,000 pounds, you can use bonus depreciation on it. If you're using it more than 50% for business purposes, as long as it's going to be ordinary and necessary for your business. One thing I want to jump in on is if you are getting your tax advice from an influencer who is not a CPA or tax professional, you should be careful. For example, maybe simple comparison, right? I am not going to listen to an influencer who probably tells me how to do something really technical about being a chiropractor, right? Or something like that, right? Hey, go home and, and try this. And it's like, they're not a chiropractor, right? If you tweak someone's neck in a certain way, being a chiropractor, like you, you could mess them up. So point right. is like, you're getting very technical as far as like, oh, things are deductible or not. And taxes can be kind of a interesting, you know, topic to talk about. I think that's why influencers like talking about it. But if you take the wrong advice, then you put that on your tax return. They have no downside to that. They've actually gotten more views because this is an interesting topic. Well, guess what? When you're working with, say, like a, a tax strategist and a, you know, a tax preparer and or, you know, you've got accounting kind of all within the same group. Now there's a little bit of integrity to say, hey, I'm taking from what I've taught them, right? Maybe as a strategist. And now we're working that way down into the tax return where that's actually going to get filed. And, you know, before all that, we need some financials and that's going to come from the accounting group, right? So there's a little bit more integrity when we say work with say the same people, the same firm, whatever, in order to say, there's not just this big kind of, oh, do this done. Nope. Right. We've got kind of working it away all the way to execution, to actual practical, uh, getting it onto the return and filed. So yeah. just wanted to comment on that. That's a great point. And, and look, for everybody out there who's listening into this, don't take tax advice from the, the 60 second TikTok clips, the 60 second reels on Instagram and YouTube, right? Even if they are tax professionals, it's very hard to break down all the nuances, all of the nitty gritty details in a 60 second clip. In fact, it's virtually impossible in most cases. Really, what you should do when you hear that stuff on TikTok, on Instagram, Use that as a spark to go have a constructive conversation with your tax advisors. Hey, is this legit? Does this work? Is this real? You know, how does this apply to me? Because you might be missing pieces in those 60 second clips that if you go and implement that yourself, you might run into trouble. We've seen this before, which is why we're doing this episode today. And as you could tell, we're probably going on you know, 30, 40 minutes of can you deduct a Rolex? Can you deduct a Lamborghini? And not only does the answer depend, but it's extremely nuanced. So uh, even when you're listening to this show, take what you're listening to this show and go have conversations with your CPAs. Because even though we go in depth on a lot of things, we cover a lot of things on this show doesn't mean we're covering every little detail or that everything that we're talking about is necessarily going to apply to you and your situation in the same way that we're discussing it within the same context of any given episode. So really, this stuff is for informational purposes. So you can go have constructive conversations with your advisors which kind of brings me to something you just mentioned before a little bit is like the benefit of having your tax advisor, your tax preparer, and in an ideal world, your accountant all under the same roof really helps everything be consistent. And we've seen a lot of issues with this in the past, right? Which is why we worked really hard to be a one-stop shop. Like if you come work with our firm, we're going to be able to help you come up with a tax plan of what you can do to actually reduce taxes, 
then we're going to actually be able to prepare your taxes for you. So the strategies that we advise you to do, if you implemented them correctly, which we will show you exactly how to do, then when it comes time to file your tax return, you're actually able to capture those benefits on your tax return and be able to actually take advantage of the tax savings that you set yourself up for. Okay. And the same thing for when it comes to accounting, uh, accounting is another one of those things where if you have your CPA doing it for you, they can just take those numbers. They're going to be up to date on your situation, being able to help you optimize your tax position throughout the year because they have very good and clean financials. But when it comes time to doing your tax returns, it's going to be all the much quicker and smoother and streamlined because all you have to do is take the numbers that they've been preparing for you the entire year and plug it into your tax return. Whereas if you have to get your numbers into your CPA or if you're working with another group, you might not be able to get them that information in time for them to file in a streamlined way. And if you're working with a different advisor for advisory, telling you what strategies you can use, your tax preparer will not necessarily be able to implement those uh, strategies because they might not be familiar. I think we see that all the time, right? I think, uh, yeah, I can't tell you how many clients start working with us for advisory, then later on come back around saying, oh, we need tax preparation too because my prior CPA can't handle it. So what we found is that if you're working with the CPA, you want to have them do your advisory and your tax preparation, do both because they're really two parts of the same puzzle and you don't want to run into discrepancies with different CPAs and, and what they believe and what they don't. believe. Yeah. And just to add into that, I, I can think of multiple people. This probably happens once, if not multiple times a month where I have a conversation about these strategies and here's a great plan. You're selling a property, say, or hey, you've got some additional income you're looking to offset this year. Maybe you're going to go buy a short-term rental or you're going to use a cost segregation study, whatever. And then I tell them about this. They go tell their preparer and they give them all their information and they spit out a tax return draft and I receive it. And in the email, they're saying something like, my tax preparer doesn't believe that a cost segregation study is legal <laughs> or something <laughs> like that, right? And it's like, what? Like that, that just never would even cross our minds, you know, working at our firm. And, and now, you know, you're amending returns, you're, you're confused. You've got all this trying to back and forth, you know, explain to your prior tax preparer that you've been using for several years. And they have no idea kind of these specific real estate strategies, things that can be implemented like a cost segregation study or your preparer saying, oh, you're a realtor. Great. You can meet real estate professional status. Really? Right, that has right. nothing to do with real estate professional status, even though that's a common misconception. So the point is just driving home what you're saying, it absolutely has to go from strategy to implementation, right? If it's just strategy, then it's all just theoretical. You have no oh, idea yeah. if that's actually going to get implemented on your tax return because your preparer is saying, I'm not comfortable with it or it's illegal <laughs> or taking a position that is actually not right especially given, say, your risk tolerance or what you're, you've got going on that you're not comfortable with. So it's a matter of strategy, theoretical to implementation, execution. That's why kind of working with one firm who's got the same training, understands these things all in one spot, it, it's really helpful. Yeah, it's not only really helpful from being able to actually capture the benefits that you actually, you went out and did the work to put these strategies in place. You got the advice, you went out, you put these strategies in place. And now it's time to capture the benefits, but it's also it, it critical to make being making sure it's done right, the right yeah. way, because not all CPAs understand this stuff. And, you know, it's funny because uh, funny you mentioned some stories that you had, because I remember this one story. This actually was not a client of ours. It was actually at a conference I was at. I was sitting next to somebody and they said, hey, you know, I went out and got tax advice from somebody. They told me how to become a real estate professional. I went out 
worked. Uh, I cut my hours back at work. I documented all this stuff. I qualify as a real estate professional and my CPA wouldn't allow me to take the deduction because the losses were too big, right? <laughs> they went and did a cost seg. They went and used bonus depreciation and weren't able to take the deduction despite the fact that they worked really hard meticulously documenting their position, massaging their facts and circumstances, all legitimately, by the way, this person told me an elaborate story. <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't believe it. And then their CPA said they couldn't do it. So you want to make sure you have your advisor and your tax strategy, excuse me, and your tax preparer under the same roof. They both understand the strategies and you're able to take advantage of them. Another really interesting thing, I can't tell you how many times over the years that I've had to get on phone calls with other tax professionals and walk them through the regulations. I literally had to train another tax professional. Here's where you find these regulations. Here's all the task court cases. Here's where it's blatantly put in six different situations on how this works. And in some cases, I won't say a lot of time, but in some cases, they will actually say, hey, wow, thank you so much for showing me this. I understand this now. I'm going to go file my client's tax returns as they should be. <laughs> and uh, other times they're like, no, 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 no. Doesn't work like that. And I'm like blatantly showing them the IRS publications, task court cases, the regulations, and they just, they're, they're scared, right? They just don't get it and they just don't want to learn. The bottom line is it's just, it's very painful when you have a different advisor from your preparer. So you want to get it all under the same roof. The good news is we are accepting clients. All right. We did have a few people reach out and ask us, are we accepting clients? And we are accepting clients for 2023 tax preparation as well as 2024 tax planning and tax preparation. So if you are currently looking for a CPA for your 2023 returns, or you're looking to get started with planning for 2024 and transition to a new CPA for the 2024 tax year, now is the best time to do it. You can go ahead and request a consultation at www.therealestatecpa.com slash become dash client, uh, fill out that brief form. And we'd love to have a conversation about your situation and see how we can help. And lastly, if you are a CPA and EA, if you're listening to this right now, you're a tax professional, we are hiring tax advisors. We are always hiring. So you can go to www.therealestatecpa.com slash careers, and you can go ahead and let us know. And we'd love to have a conversation with you as well. That's it for today. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.